0: Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters,
1: and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions
0: as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. I'm so excited to share today's episode with you guys. This was such a good one.
1: Yeah, you know it's funny. The world of Instagram. I have such a love-hate relationship with social media because on one hand, it's connected me with so many amazing people, and I've made kind of like online relationships with some people. Um, and our guest today is one of those people. You know, we shoot the shit and we share things back and forth, and um, and. I just, I love his approach. I love how straightforward he is. I mean, I tend to be one of those like no bullshit kind of people too. So I think it resonates with me because he speaks my language. But um, we talked about so many amazing things during this interview that I think everyone is just going to get so much value out of. Whether you're single and dating, whether you're not single and dating, whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, doesn't matter. I think all of this that we talked about is is kind of relevant.
0: Yeah. What I love about Sean so much is... He sort of gives you tangible tools for having confrontational conversations, right? Because as we often talk about, so much of the time we don't say the thing because we're terrified of what the person's response is going to be. But I think a lot of times we can soften some of the response from the other person if we go in sort of on the offensive, having the conversation in a way that that person feels seen and, you know cared for and that they're not being attacked and I feel like Sean so often in his content and in this episode gets into here's how you say it you say hey my guy whatever it is right and I think that's so useful because a lot of times we don't know like how you even begin having the conversation you know
1: yeah. So I think you're going to hear a lot of those awesome tools today. I think we talk a little bit about this idea of like doing as I say, not as I do, which is really mm. interesting to me. Um, you know, just this idea of emotional availability, what that means, what that looks like, um, mm-hmm. this idea of space and the importance of space in relationships. So I think there's a lot of great nuggets and I'm really excited to, to bring you in on this. Yeah. Enjoy you guys.
0: Sean Galinas is an internationally recognized love coach, podcast host, and speaker on a mission to help people have better, more loving relationships. Both of us just love all of your work, and we're so excited to have you with us, Sean. Thanks for joining us.
2: I am so excited. I put that in, uh, internationally recognized love coach thing sort of as a joke, just because I have like people on Instagram from all over the world. <laughs> well, well that's, I
1: mean, that's <laughs> international <it> is,
0: right <laughs> you are i'm it's happy to make be you nice. uncomfortable
1: hearing your hearing somebody say he's an internationally recognized
2: i mean it's a little silly but yeah i like it i'm not uncomfortable
1: <laughs> okay good <laughs> um well we usually whenever we have somebody on the pod who hasn't been on before we usually really ask you to kind of take us back right like what got you here? What's your what's your kind of story that led you to be doing what you're doing now, helping people in the way you're helping people now? We're always, I mean we're therapists. We're curious about the backstory.
2: Right, of course. Um, I you know always sort of struggled with relationships growing up. I sort of figured that there must be an easier way than not being honest with what you want. I just sort of mm-hmm. like, I just really struggled being honest with my desires with the fact that I wanted sex and not a relationship with sort of a a lot of that stuff. And I, and I realized at some point there must be a better way. And so I started being more honest and seeing the benefits. Um, I also really struggled with being emotionally available with being intimate. I had a fear of commitment. I had, you know, some avoidant tendencies. And so uh, I was also the person that people came to when they wanted to talk about love and relationships, because I had sort of this bottomless well of, desire to talk about it not that I was doing it well but I really wanted to talk about it and somewhere along the way I I did I I I went through a lot of therapy when I was in my early 20s Uh, I had a girlfriend and her and I could not resolve conflict at all Mm -hmm. I got sober at the age of 25 and I think that really changed the way I was in relationship I couldn't uh, lie anymore whether they were white lies or or lies by omission Um, I learned to be rigorously honest And so I think the therapy, the getting sober, the challenges with the relationships all sort of led to me switching to like a just like a more loving, honest version of myself. Mm -hmm. And then along the way, I started driving a taxi in San Francisco. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of fun, but then also kind of boring because you're just driving all day. And a friend said, oh, you should put cameras and microphones in the cab and talk to people about love. And that's where the love drive came from.
0: Oh, I love it.
2: (laughs) And so that was about eight years ago at this point. And since then, I got certified as a coach. I started doing my own podcast, The Love Drive. I started coaching people individually, doing courses, creating content on Instagram and all the other platforms. And, And here we are today, some eight years later.
0: Oh my gosh, I love it. And I love hearing that at one point it was difficult for you to be direct and tell the truth. Because when I think about your work and your content, I'm often struck by how much you you go straight to the point. You're very much um encourage people to like sit in the discomfort of confrontation. And I wondered if that was always easy for you. And if you had specific tools that got you there? Like, how did you learn to do that? Because I think the way that you call us in to doing that Mm -hmm. is is really beautiful. And I wonder how you got to that point when you look back.
2: Well, uh, just to answer your first question, has it always been that easy? No. And it's also much easier for me to tell you what I think you should do than for me Mm -hmm. to actually do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I still struggle with Mm. being rigorously honest in a kind and loving way. I don't believe in brutal brutal honesty people always say some some people say wow you're brutally honest and i think it's because they they haven't heard what actually just just plain honesty sounds like to people plain honesty sounds like brutal honesty yeah uh, because i don't like to sugarcoat things Mm -hmm. Uh, i do like to give a lot of loving language around the stuff that i'm going to share right like hey i love being with you i love spending time with you and and then you say the hard thing because it's not you know we want to care for the people that we're going to be honest and direct with because it, it does hurt sometimes Mm -hmm. these things that you share, you know, whether you're not ready to be in a relationship or whether you want to date other people or whether you don't want to be in a relationship anymore. Right. So these, these are going to be kind of hurtful things, but we can't really tiptoe around that stuff. So, um, I still struggle sometimes. Uh, I have my own therapist that I've seen for the last five years that really helps me with this. You know, I'll mm. share something with her and she'll go, well, have you told them that? And I'll go, no, why would I do that? You know? <laughs> so she inspires me and, and calls me into, to being more honest as well.
1: I love you said calls me in instead of calls me out I Love that. Nuance. I just took that from
2: Denae. <laughs> yeah.
0: I just, I think that there's something in that. There's a lovingly, a loving way and to say anything. And it's interesting again, I was listening to your podcast and I was thinking about a conversation I was having with a client yesterday about, you know, there's a guy that's just like really into her and she's a single woman. And so she's feeling the pressure of like, I should be attempting to give this guy a shot. I should be attempting to make this work somehow. And I was kind of like, well, why? Like, it's clearly not something that you're feeling. And she's like, yeah, but I don't really have a reason. And I was like, that's fascinating. Um, First of all, I don't think men have that as much as we do. I feel like men can sort of feel a little bit more um, permission to be in the friend zone and say, I'm not looking for a relationship than women do. Like if if I'm single and I'm out here dating, obviously I should be looking for a relationship where that means something. Um, But also what I was saying to her is I think there's a a compassionate way to say that, Um, Mm that That, you know, I, I think you're great and I would just love to be your friend, but I'm not interested in you in that way. And I wonder if you find that to be the case as well, Sean. I
2: think I think it's always hard when you think you're going to hurt someone's feelings to want to sugarcoat it or, or want to shy away from having that conversation. One of the things that I learned a long time ago is that who am I to assume how someone's going to take whatever I am going to say or share with mm-hmm. them, right? It's a bit presumptuous for me to, to know to know inside of me that when I tell you that I don't want to, you know, be romantically involved with you, that you're going to be upset. Like, I don't actually know that. I might have really go- a good idea how you're going to feel, but I don't actually know that. And I think I learned a lot of that in 12-step recovery, which is that, you know, my job is not to protect other people's feelings. It yeah. is to just be honest about where I'm at and what I'm looking for so that we can find people that are, that are aligned. And I don't know that it's harder... F- for women, it it probably is. I I feel like everything's harder for women. We've made it harder for women to to speak up, to make as much money as we do, to have the same rights as we do. So yeah, I guess I I would agree that it it probably is a little bit harder. Um,
1: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I feel like too, without like going down too far into this rabbit hole, I think you're right, Sean. I mean, I think that you almost can't separate out the the being a woman piece from it. I think even at like an unconscious level, there's kind of always this like self-protectedness that has to go on with men, right? Because I know I've been in plenty of experience where I've like turned down or rebuffed in advance, and you're met with like anger or rage or something that feels very unsafe. And so I think for a lot of women, we're taught very young to kind of placate and handle with kid gloves men because the men are the dangerous ones, you know, in, in our experience. And so I like I said, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole necessarily, but I think you're right. I think there's that component has to be spoken to. I, I do want to say too, it's funny when you were saying you know, the being presumptuous part, because I had a male client, Well, I, I still see him occasionally and he was struggling with being honest and he was out there and he was dating. And it was a very similar conversation to like, well, I don't want to hurt her feelings. I don't want to hurt her feelings. And we had this kind of rapport because we've been seeing each other for years. But I remember at one point he was in this like mental spiral that he had gotten himself into around this. And I kind of just jokingly said to him, like, I mean, do you really think you're all that? Like, you really think that you're going to say that and you're going to crumble her world because you're so amazing? And like, we were joking about it, but he really had like a aha where he was like, oh my God, yeah, you're kind of right. Like, I'm going into this thinking like, oh, I'm going to destroy this person. And it's like, well, but really, you know? And we, we laughed about it, but it I think it was helpful for him to see himself in that way and see that like, oh, I'm kind of taking it. I'm taking it like that, you know?
2: Well, t- two things. One is that when you are withholding your truth because in fear of hurting the other person, you're actually hurting yourself. Right. right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're not, and it's not being, being truthful. <laughs> it's not being truthful. You're, you're staying in a relationship that you don't want to be in anymore. So it's at your expense, which is kind of shitty mm-hmm. for everybody, right? So that's the first thing. Second thing is I, I kind of want to go back to the thing that you said about men being unsafe. Uh, my most popular TikTok was a video on um, how to tell people that you don't want to you don't want to see them anymore instead of ghosting, mm-hmm. right? And, mm-hmm. and the language mm-hmm. was, you know, instead of ghosting, say this. I had a great time with you. The connection that you and I have is not the connection that I'm looking for. Take care. That's it, right? That's the short and I sweet. Love that. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's great. And the, the reason it and. got 4 million views and has 6,000 comments is that a lot of women were like, yeah, you've obviously never rejected a dude because they're either going to stalk you. They're going to try to convince you. They're going to ask for all sorts of reasons. Like, Oh, what, what do you mean? What, what don't you like? I thought we had a good time. What do you mean? We have a good time, but we don't have a connection. Right. And so that's like, just a lot of labor and you know, you have to protect yourself from that. So there are instances where ghosting or some sort of white lie about the connection is totally valid. I just didn't know that until I posted that.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, and I'm curious to hear what you think about this, Sean, because I'm sort of obsessed with that all of us need to like roll back um what we have in terms of like what our expectations are going into dating across the board like I'm sort of like this proponent of like let's just start as friends period everyone that we're out here in these streets meeting like because I find so often with clients it's like I'm swiping through like I see a guy with a skateboard. I'm not interested in being married to a guy with a skateboard. So, he's out of here and I'm like, well, "Well, wait. Wait a minute. First of all, like maybe he was holding someone's skateboard. Like he could be a friend. He could be a friend that has a best friend that is the love of your life and you're not even interested in meeting him because you're just so like quick to judge, mm-hmm. but I think You know, in what you were just saying, I think that also gives us room to get to know people without the expectation that we're in here, we're dating, you're either going to be the love of my life, or it's a rejection of you and your soul, which I think gives us a little bit more leeway to not have to do some of the like, really difficult
2: confrontational conversation of you're just not the one, you know what I mean? I mean, I have two skateboards, and so now I'm feeling personally
1: offended. (laughs) There's There's literally a pile of skateboards right there in my video, as you can see. (laughs) I mean, I love a man with a skateboard.
2: It's it's funny. We put a lot of pressure on these external things, right? Like, for instance, I have Mm -hmm. uh, my girlfriend isn't on social media, and when I met her, I was like, I don't know if I could do that. Like, she there's she's Mm. not on social media. Like, how is that going to work? And she's like, he's on social media a lot. Like, how is that going to work? You know, and we found a way. We turns out that's actually not that important. Just like having a skateboard might not be that important. Or having a skateboard might be actually really important because they love to skate all the time. It's kind of dangerous. Maybe it comes with like pot smoking or whatever that you might associate with skateboarding. So, uh, well, we won't know until we actually meet the person. And I think I look at dates as a vibe check an opportunity Mm -hmm. to see if I like this person enough to see them again. That's literally the only Mm -hmm. thing that I'm doing, even in my current relationship and we've been dating for a while. Do I still want to see her? Right. That's, that's it. That's the only litmus test that I care Mm -hmm. about. And and then you get to, you know, be curious about all these other little things that you have preconceived notions about to see, is this actually going to be a problem or not?
1: Yeah. I love that. I, we had, um, John and I had a similar conversation in the beginning of our relationship. And we actually wrote about it in our book because he was so in his head and it was like, is this the one? And there was this huge checklist and, you know, and he would be all anxious. Like, well, how do you know? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know that you're the one. I just know that I'm having fun. And is that enough for me to come back? Yeah, that's enough for me. I enjoy being around you. So I'll see you again tomorrow, you know? And he had a really hard time with me not quote unquote knowing. And I was like, but is that even a real thing? Because even the ones that you thought you knew didn't work out. So You know, I think we need to give ourselves a little bit of leeway there.
2: Yeah. I mean, some people struggle with the fact that they're dating someone that's not their type. And they're Mm -hmm. like, oh, well, it's this this person really isn't my type. It's like, well, but your type hasn't really worked out. So, far, So maybe try might try a different type (laughs) today. I think even skateboard.
0: <laughs> I, listen, I I'm talking about clients. I just <laughs> want to go on record. Men with skateboards. I'm out. I'm here for it. Like, hit the nail. like, yeah, send DM me. I love it. Oh, um, shit. Open up the DMs. <laughs> all right.
1: Careful you wish I'm for. Kidding. Exactly. You wish <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: for. right, but even something that both of you just said that I think is interesting is like. I'm fascinated by this idea, like what it means to not work out. Right. Like Mm -hmm. when a relationship ends, does that mean that that wasn't something like that was somehow a failure? I think even that language, like to challenge on a societal level, like I've certainly learned so much from my past relationships. I don't know that they didn't work out. It was just like, like John often says, it was time for them to expire. You know what I mean?
2: I mean, mm-hmm. if you're not learning anything from your past relationships, then maybe it didn't work out, right? Then maybe it was a failure. Yeah. If you failed to to learn, glean hmm. anything about yourself, about them, about your desires, about how you are in relationships, about what you desire, all that stuff. If you don't learn anything, then yeah, it was a failure. But for the most part, we're learning stuff.
0: Yeah. Okay, so I have a question for you, Sean. So what like being a love expert out dating now that, I mean, I don't know how long you've been with your girlfriend, but do you find that that can be something that has been challenging for you in the past? Do people have preconceived notions about like how you're going to experience them in the relationship? Do you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, I do. Uh, I, uh, I was dating in Boulder last year and people would see me on Hinge and they would say, oh, I love your work. And then mm-hmm. that, to me, that's like, a, I'm not going out with you, right? Like, I, I don't want anyone yeah, mm-hmm. to go out with me because of the work that I do. Um, I think doing the work that I do means that my standards are a little bit higher about mm-hmm. what I'm looking for in a partner. And mm-hmm. so, but at the end of the day, I'm still just a dude, you know, that is like sort of bumbling his way through. Like, you know, I I, I have some tools but they're not like that advanced, right? My tools aren't that advanced. I just, and I, I talk about this a lot at work, but I don't actually think or talk about this at all in my personal life. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about biking, climbing, skateboarding, actually, rollerblading mm-hmm. really is what I, I'm more into if I had to pick one of the two. Oh, uh, love it. You know, spending time with my dog, like I'm just like a regular dude at the end of the day. But I think some people would maybe hold me to a higher standard of behavior when like I was called out by uh, for ghosting someone some like maybe last year or something Uh, so you know it happens I'm 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 imperfect and I mean we all are
0: I feel like I want to ask you about dating stigmas um Sean because I feel like I hear you talk about that a little bit what do you think are some of the stigmas people hold around dating
2: Wow. That's, I don't even know how to answer that question.
0: <laughs> it's kind of, <laughs> what big do one. you think is, what do you think is the perception of what it is to date in the current dating landscape? And maybe some of the things that people have wrong about dating. Uh,
2: Well, yeah, people do look, or are, are looking for their partner. You know, I, mm-hmm. I think I, I had a client recently that. Hadn't even been on a date and was thinking, oh, I think this is this is the one. And I go, you have no idea. Also, this is the first person that you're dating after getting out of a relationship, right? So you need mm-hmm. to go and like try stuff out there. See what you like, see what you don't like, see who you vibe with, see who you don't vibe with. So I think people do come out with the list of this is what I'm looking for. And I used to have mm-hmm. one of those lists too, interestingly enough. And I was I was talking to my therapist about the fact that I wanted her to be a rock climber and to do this and to do this and to do this and and the list was so specific that there really no one could meet those requirements Mm -hmm. and so that's a great you know barrier to intimacy it's a great defense mechanism for me uh to open up if no one can ever meet my requirements and so we went through all of the 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 list items and instead of rock climber my therapist was like what if she just had a sense of adventure Mm. because that's a lot easier to meet. And I wanted to build a cabin in the woods with someone. And she's like, what if you could just build something with someone? I was like, okay, I could build something with someone. And that opened it up a whole lot. Right. So I'm not necessarily a great judge of what I need. So I have yeah. to go and meet people to see how does this feel in my body? So I think that's one of the I things that. that people kind of get wrong a little bit. And I also think that online dating is just, it's, it's kind of a mess. That's yeah. kind of a mess, mm. and there's a lot of behavior that you wouldn't do if you had just met that person in in, in real life, right? Because you're you're kind <laughs> of, kind of like of what? <laughs> well, I, what do well, people like, do? <laughs> yeah, like 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 starting conversations, and then just stopping them, and and like in mid conversation and never coming back to it. Yeah. Like you wouldn't do that to someone mm. in real life if you were talking to them at a restaurant or whatnot, right? Um, so I think yes. online dating's weird. I also think that. Uh, it's just a tool to meet people. It's also a great tool to get good at dating, right? For the most part, those people mm-hmm. that are online, not all of them, unfortunately, are single, right? So a good mm. you know, majority of them are single. But apparently, a third of people online will not meet up regardless, whether they're either in a relationship or they're doing it for fun or they're doing it for an ego validation or to feel better about themselves or just for entertainment. Uh, there doesn't matter. They're not going to meet up with you. So there's a lot of frustration wow. with the whole online dating. That's what I heard. I don't know.
0: Fascinating. I know. I'm like, I just got such valuable information for some of my single ladies. I had never heard that. Wow.
1: That makes sense though, right? I mean, it's it's like, I mean, listen. I was on it for a brief stint, and I and I remember. And I'm a I'm an extrovert, so I meet 99.9% of my people like out in the world. Like as Danai knows, I just kind of like find the nearest introvert and adopt them, and like you're my friend now, or like we're dating now. And <laughs> and so I did online dating for like a hot second, and I I actually had a similar kind of feeling. Like I was like, oh, this is fun, this is validating. But like I don't remember ever feeling like I actually want to meet up with any of these people. I don't know if I like secretly fell into that category and just didn't know it. But I can I guess I can feel into that for sure.
2: Yeah. And, and there were people on the other end of the phone that were like, oh, this is great. I can't wait to meet Vanessa. This is going to be amazing. And then she just disappears. You know, disappears. I think it's, it's pretty common. Also, I think we need to just be really soft with ourselves about the whole dating process. It can be disheartening. Mm. It can be frustrating. It can be uh, saddening. But it can also be a really nice opportunity to meet all sorts of different people. And I've met people online that are now friends, you know, all mm-hmm. over the world. I've I've done this. So uh, you do have to keep an open mind about what the connection is gonna be before you actually get there.
0: I love that. So many things you just said that I was struck by what you were saying about like at one point wanting someone to go rock climbing with or mm-hmm. build a cabin. I'm like, she can actually be physically building the cabin with you. Yeah. Together. Like that sounds like a lot. Yeah. I love
2: it. Um, <laughs> Today's like nothing.
0: <laughs> I'm like, nope. <laughs> But, you know, I think what's interesting to me about that is that there's so much, you know, Vanessa and I are constantly talking about how we just believe like all of us are raised to be codependent. And um, there's so much about what our expectations relationships are that like this person should be by my side hooked arm in arm, doing most of the things that I do in this life. And I think what I find working with couples is that over time, that leads to a lot of enmeshment and sort of like, I know what you're going to say before you're going to say it. And we're basically like sick of each other because there's just no differentiation between like who you are and who I am. And I think some of that like maybe she doesn't want to build a, maybe I don't want to build a cabin, but maybe I could still be like, you know, there, like rooting for you and bringing you a cold drink while you're in the midst of building it. And can that be okay? You know?
2: Oh, it's definitely okay. I think space, I mean, you know, fire needs air, Esther Perel. uh, I think space is so healthy in a relationship. I think uh, placing all of these needs, right. Uh, You know, our our desires for our partner to be, uh, you know, uh, our best friend, our colleague, our, our yeah. all these things, you know, sexually active, like all these things. It's so much pressure on a relationship. And so I'd much rather mm-hmm. be able to outsource a lot of these different things and to have separate activities. As long as we have enough points of connection, then I think mm-hmm. we'll be okay. Yeah. But I think too many points of connection is also a problem. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, I think that there is, I mean, there's sexual not sexual erotic charge in difference, right and so it's that it's that the poles, the two poles and how they're attracted to each other so I think you're right it's like i I, I have found that in the times when I've dated somebody who's so much like myself, it's just like a buddy it kind of turns into a very kind of friendly feeling right um. Like, I don't actually want to date myself because I'm kind of a pain in the ass. So I need somebody who's, you know, a little bit different than me. Um, but yeah, this this fire needs air is fascinating because COVID has, in my experience working with clients, but also in my own personal relationship, right? There's no air. There's no for air for any of us, right? Everybody's fucking on top <laughs> of each other all the time. And I've seen a lot of couples really struggle with that. And like I said, myself included where, um, I was the kind of person I am the kind of person who needs a lot of air. I mean, I, I do tend to fall more avoidant. I tend to be just hyper independent. Right. And we could go back to the why and how I was raised and all the things, but that's just, that's just who I am at this point. And, um, not having air can feel very kind of stifling. And I'll, I've seen a lot of couples really struggle with um, how do you make space for each person to be their own person when you don't have that physical space, right? And I'm curious, I guess, from your perspective, how you've seen it affect the clients that you've worked with and stuff, you know, dating during COVID, being in relationship during COVID um, and finding that that differentiation, I suppose. I don't know if there's a question in there, but I guess just your thoughts on it.
2: Well, there there was a lot of, I think a lot of people broke up during COVID because of -hmm. of this sort of suffocating feeling. In fact, I think in Montreal, when I left was sort of in the middle, was uh, was sort of a year into the pandemic and the housing market, the rental market had exploded because people were looking for their own spaces, right? They had broken up and now two people needing, you know, need a new space. And so I think a lot of people broke up for that reason. My ex and I broke up, uh, well, for a variety of different reasons, but we had differing viewpoints on COVID and the vaccine. So I think that, really blew people up as well right so mm-hmm. um it's like finding out that you're you know your long that your long-term partner is like a democrat and you're a republican you're like holy shit mm-hmm. like is this And some actually think- no
1: joke not to interrupt you there was a huge surge in divorces during the hillary trump campaign that was a big they talked about it here in the states there was like a spike in divorces when a lot of the men voted for trump and the women voted for hillary there actually was a huge increase it was fascinating
2: I've also heard, I think my mom said, oh, I think your dad voted for Trump, but I voted for Hillary, so I canceled his vote out. So there's couples that are able to do that also. I don't
1: that's how it works, but okay.
2: I don't think that's how it works, but um, th- there are people that, that are able to find some common ground and mm-hmm. to work through these massive, massive differences. Going back to space, uh, one of the, the issues that a lot of the people uh, that have taken some of my courses have is how to ask for space. Because right? mm-hmm. we, we're going back to that whole, I don't want to hurt my partner. Yep. And so how do we ask for space? And I say something like, honey, I love you. I love spending time with you. I'd love to go on a walk alone tonight. Or I'm going to do something with my friends tonight because I just want a little bit of space. And that's that's it. That's all it looks like. That's the beginning of the conversation. And then there's going to be some sharing, right? You, this is sort of a uh, conversation starter. And then what develops there, I can't control, right? But I can give people the language to have the beginning parts of these conversations. And hopefully it's said with enough respect and love and that the partner has enough understanding to, to, to hear exactly what's being said and not, I don't like you, I want space from you.
1: Yeah, yeah. And understanding that if you, if you, you wait too long to have that conversation. It's going to not be nice when it's said. And that's an important thing I continually tell clients is like, if you wait too long, it's gonna end up coming out and like a blah, get the fuck away from me. Versus like if the first time you start to feel it, if you really sit with it and get some language around it, you will be able to communicate it in a kind way. But if you wait too long because you're trying to be nice, It's not going to be.
0: I love that. And I love that you actually give people dialogues, Sean. I think that's really helpful. Like this is how you can start the conversation. Because to Vanessa's point, I think what often happens is that um, we've waited so long to circle back to the conversation that now I don't even know how to get there. For example, something I find comes up with a lot of women that I work with that have been married a long time is I've been faking orgasms for years now how do I circle back and have that conversation at this point? Do you have any yes. advice, Sean? How my, how I might broach that with my uh, husband? I'd be fascinated to hear your perspective on that one.
2: I mean, that's a that's a tough one. But also, you know, before I answer that, I want to say that like the longer you go without having these conversations, the harder it becomes to have mm-hmm. them. It's like when Absolutely. you, you know, you, you're a workout person, you're used to working out and then you stop going to the gym. It's so hard to get back to the gym. And the longer yeah. you don't go back to the gym, the harder it is to go back to the gym. So uh, I, in an ideal world, in ideal relationships, we're talking about all this stuff early and often, and we build that and mm. we bake it into the relationship. That's just not the case for most people, including myself. So how do you have the conversation about the fact that you've been faking orgasms? You have to say like, hey, honey, uh, we, we, I'd love to for us to talk about our sex life tonight if you're open to it, mm. right? So you, you, you don't ambush them with this information, yep. right? I'm a let big them, fan of that. Let them prepare a little bit. And then you say, uh, this is my script for how to start any hard conversation. I have something that's hard for me to say. I don't know how to do it really. I might mess this up, but you mm. you and me are important. And so it's worth having. Okay. So now you've given yourself permission to not do it perfectly. And because mm-hmm. it's just never going to be perfect. And then you say, hey, look, this. I, I don't know how to say this, but I've been faking orgasms for a long time. And it's not that you're not a great lover. It's that um, I have a trouble. I have like a hard time orgasming. And I I wanted to do this for you so that you would feel like successful and and loved and like a good lover. And Mm -hmm. you are all those things, but I'm just not coming for whatever reason. And it'd be great if we could figure out how I could have more orgasms also. Sean, that is so
0: good.
2: On the spot, that's what I would say. Yeah,
1: I love it literally and figuratively (laughs) on the spot just (laughs) (laughs) like, let
2: let me show you a couple things that I wish I had shown you earlier that really turned me on
1: yeah Mm. I think that's where it goes to next right it's like but that's the thing I mean you got to be comfortable doing that and I think a lot of women are not comfortable I shouldn't just say women actually I think men too sometimes but it's like that actual getting in there and saying let me show you specifically, let me show you, that's really hard for a lot of people. You know, I had a conversation with a client recently where she like, couldn't tell her partner something about how she was feeling and it wasn't sex related, you know, it was some kind of intimate connection thing. And I remember laughing with her and being like, why are you so afraid to tell him this? Like, I'm going to say this out loud and I don't even care. I literally said to my client, he's seen your butthole. Like, why are you nervous about having this conversation? Right. And like, obviously again, like kind of lightheartedly, but it's like, we we have this fear around being intimate and yet we, you know, it's like, well, come on. So Yeah. He has
2: seen your butthole. That should be a t-shirt.
1: <laughs> if there were if there were ever a t-shirt that described having therapy
0: with Vanessa, it would probably be he has seen your butthole. He has seen, he has your, seen butthole. your butthole.
2: <laughs> yeah. Over sticker. Yeah.
0: True story. Yeah. But I love so much the way that you sort of crafted taking personal responsibility in the midst of the conversation, mm-hmm. because I think so often what is missing is this is why I've been doing this. This is why this has been hard for me to say. And that's not that's not your fault. Like, you you know, that doesn't mean that you're a terrible lover. And it means all these things about who you are. That's on me. But I'm trying to do something different now.
2: Yeah, the it's. I think it's crucial to share the impact or the importance or the story of why we act the way we act, mm-hmm. right? You know, like I have a lot of stuff about my childhood. I'm aware of some of it now. And so I can say, you know, I'm this way because in the past I've been this way.
1: Yeah, and, yeah.
2: Um, also, when we, when we make a, a request, I think sharing the impact is really, really beautiful, right? I'd love for you to do this. And if you do, it would mean this to me, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think... I actually recently got asked this question <clears throat> in an interview. Somebody said, what do you think is the most important thing? Like if you had to pick one thing for the sake of a relationship that you as your own person could be doing, what would that be? Um, like, is there one trick in a relationship or one thing you should be focused on? And I actually said, working on yourself. I think the mo one of the most important things you can do for the sake of a relationship is actually do the work on yourself, right? Like discovering your triggers, why I tick the way that I tick, why, you know, and, um, I think that's so valid, John, because it's there's so many times where John and I will have a conversation where it's like, oh, I see now why this is my expectation or that this is the way I responded. You know, it's so connected to my story and my my past. And by the way, that helps the other person not take it personally, right? When they realize there's something in your story that has led to this behavior or this action, um, it it becomes a lot easier for me to empathize and say, oh, it's not about me. I can drop my defenses. And instead, say, "How can I support you in maybe healing from this, or 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 changing your behavior?" Because it's not about me.
2: I love that, but this is also mm-hmm. three like you know, coaches, therapists talking, and so we we have more self awareness. The thing about self awareness is that it it's the first step, right, to changing a behavior, uh, but it's also really annoying because now you're aware of the behavior, but you're not actually ready to change it, and yes. so it kind of ruins the whole thing until you actually make the behavior modification.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's also yeah. a lot of that. Like, do as I say, not as I do, tends to be an issue with us, us <laughs> totally. people, as therapists and coaches.
2: <laughs> I just, just to jump back to the, to the talking about sex stuff. I think it is really hard for men as well to tell their mm-hmm. partner what they like. Mm. Uh, it's, it's not. It has not come naturally to me. I still struggle with it. I still s- sort of uh, try to, you know, inspire myself to do it because it's going to lead to better sex. And like, like less painful blowjobs for, for instance, you know, no one wants that.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's
2: that's
0: so important though. I mean, circling back to what Vanessa was saying about buttholes, it never ceases to amaze (laughs) me how much we are intimate with people and not able to be emotionally intimate with people, not able to like have these difficult conversations. And like you're saying, like all of us have a lot of tools and practice. And that's still hard for me to feel like this is really confrontational and I'm scared to say it, but I'm going to say it and here we go. And so most people can, you know, have an entire lifetime of a relationship not saying you're hurting me when you're giving me a blow shop. Can you please not do that with your teeth? And I feel like so often it's a little what you said, like, don't make the assumption. I would want to know if I'm hurting you. I would want to know how to like be more pleasurable in the way I'm doing this with you you
2: know yeah and i think uh instead of saying you're hurting me please don't do that i think i would say a little <laughs> softer would feel much better <laughs> right no. so you, you give them the solution <laughs> Thank you. Thank not, you, the, not the problem <laughs> give them the solution you know easy baby steps for people to meet your needs is sort of you know mm. instead of saying like i need more effort from you let's say we're yeah. not we're not talking about sex anymore i need more effort from you is something that is going to shut down a lot of people because they feel mm-hmm. like they're they are do, they are giving effort, but now I need to yeah. do more effort. Like holy shit, that that sucks. Well, so
1: here's my question on that though. I love this idea of giving the the solution, not the problem. But what if you don't know what the solution is, right? Like, so what if you? Because I personally struggle with this, and I know a lot of my clients who are the kind of people who process takes a long time to process. You know, I feel something; it's a little off. I'm not really sure why. I kind of have to take it on my own. But also I can get myself into a bad habit I have in the past of like doing all the work on my own and not ever actually bringing it to my partner, right? Like basically wanting it to be, I say, like in a pretty, with a pretty bow on top, like perfectly packaged before I ever bring it to them. The problem is there's no such thing as a perfect package. And so what ends up happening is I don't ever bring it to them, right? And I see a lot of people struggle with this. So when you're not actually sure what the solution is, but you want to maybe practice coming to the solution together right then i mean what would you suggest maybe somebody somebody says in any kind of example
2: yeah i mean this is a beautiful question i also think that it's unrealistic for us to always have the perfect answer always Mm -hmm. have the underlying need and the action items that are going to meet that need and sometimes we do need to collaborate with our partner right that's kind Mm -hmm. of the the deal of partnership right we're coming together for a common goal right is to like Mm. be in a loving relationship together so you could say something like hey honey i'm feeling something I don't, even, I don't exactly know why or what's going on and I'd love to just share it with you. There's, there's no action item here other than to just like talk about what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. So we've kind of lowered, we've like we've hit the, the pressure release valve a little bit on you don't have to show up in any way other than to just hold space for me and for this conversation. And maybe that will be the thing that leads to a solution.
0: Yeah, I love it okay well i have another dating question sean since we have you um
1: since we have you. I think said I have you.
0: Since I have you. No, but I think that there's often, you know, there are things that I consistently see come up with clients. And I I joke a lot of times, like everybody's become like a little pop psychologist, like diagnosing everyone mm-hmm. they come in contact with and everyone's a narcissist yeah. and everyone is, you know, um emotionally unavailable. And I feel like I've heard you speak to that a little bit. And I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on this, like, I am sort of running around diagnosing all of the people that I come in contact with as being emotionally unavailable because it feels like it comes up so often these days.
2: Well, it's, it's not even just emotional unavailability. It's people uh, being pros around attachment theory, around the love languages, around narcissists, everything that they don't like is toxic. I think all of that is super, super damaging to Mm. us being in relationship with other people and to learn how to like, sort of heal some of our little our little wounds our little hurts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think all of these things are blocks to intimacy. Mm-hmm. They are things that separate us from other people. And it's just easier to say, oh well, this person's unavailable. This person's emotionally unavailable. This person's shut down. They're toxic. They're avoidant, right? We love to bag on the avoidance or they're anxious. Yeah. I don't want to deal with that. Oh, I mean, no way. Yeah. So I think it's I think it's a problem. I really think that we're not spending enough time just being with this other person, um, instead of it, rather than just diagnosing what we don't like and then moving on to the other the other person. I think that the idea or the goal or the dream, the fantasy, is that we will eventually find that one person that doesn't trigger us, doesn't mm-hmm. activate us, but that turns us on, that where we have fire chemistry, where everything is in alignment. And I think that is is frankly, unreasonable. That's a recipe for staying alone for Mm. the rest of your life. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think that's
0: that's really, really helpful to lay it out that way because I do think that there's, as much as we feel like we have a lot of information and we have a lot of self-awareness, there is still, I find, a fantasy that there is this one. There is this one person who is going to check all the boxes and be what I've dreamt of this whole time and be my soulmate. And you're right. I think it really... Leaves us in a place where we're not giving a lot of grace to one another's humanity and like all of the like red flag and it's like what, what about your red flags? Like everybody's got them, right? Like we're not we're not fully evolved and um, processed people ready to like you know I don't know. Um, so I think that's really helpful. Thank you for that.
2: Well, so two things. I'm also not saying stay in abusive relationships or date people that you don't like, yes. right? But but pause before you write somebody off and say, how important is this? Uh, Do I actually have a good read on this situation or am I sort of projecting or judging uh, without really the information that I need to? That's one thing. Mm -hmm. The the other thing is I had someone ask me a question recently that was like, my guy isn't really good at using his words. Red flag, should I go? And then, and I said, well, how come you're not using your words? Mm. If words are so important to you, how how come you're not using your words to say, hey, I would love for you to share a little bit more about what's going on with you or what you're looking for or to be a little bit more communicative in these kinds of ways. So people are really quick to dismiss folks for behaviors that they themselves are also exhibiting.
0: Oh, I love that so much. It's like I saw a meme yesterday that was like, everyone wants someone who is vulnerable, but we're just all so um... Afraid of being vulnerable, right? And it's like, can I give the thing that I'm asking the other person to show up in? Like, somebody's got to go first. I often say with couples, like, can it be me? Can I be the one to to say the vulnerable thing? Step in that space that, yeah, that person's scared, but you are too, right? We're both just in a standoff a lot of times.
2: I I think I really love this idea of can it be me? Can I go first? Uh, When you do that, you also give the other person permission to open up or to be vulnerable or to do the thing that you're asking them to do and also if you're listening to this podcast or you consume this kind of content then you're doing probably more work than your partner or others in your life about bettering your bettering yourself by learning communication strategies by being more emotionally available by going to therapy so it's almost kind of on you to go first because you have the information you have the awareness you have the knowledge Uh, If not, you're just going to wait for a really, really long time for people to guess what you need and to bring up things that you want them to bring up.
0: Hmm. Do you believe that the people that we are in relationships with are like, what do you think about this idea that people are our mirror and that they're demonstrating something that is within us that we need to heal or some blind spot that we're not aware of? Do you do you think that's true?
2: I I don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're being in a relationship will give you opportunities to work on stuff that you need to work on. That's sort of Mm -hmm. how I like to look at it. Not necessarily that like I'm, I'm with this person for a reason, you know, like we're, we're going through all this conflict because I have to work on my daddy wound. I don't know if I would look at it that way. I just look Mm -hmm. at, uh, I, I also, I'm I'm not a therapist, so, you know, I'm not trained in attachment theory. I know that there is a lot of science and, and research around, how will uh, you know, choose people to recreate some sort of past dynamic. I don't know enough about that stuff. I just know that we have an opportunity when we're in a relationship to work on a whole bunch of different stuff if we choose to.
0: Mm. I love that. And I love even that if we choose to, because I think relationships can a lot of times be a really comfortable place to hide out and not take our 100% look at my stuff. Right. Um, because it's, it's easy to get comfortable and it's easy certainly to make the other person the problem here, but can I look inward? Can I bring the focus back to Like, well, can I go first with the thing that needs to be shifted in this dynamic? Right.
2: Yeah. And one of the things that I think people should go first on is talking about sexual health, Mm. because when you do that, I mean, if you don't do it, you're, you're sort of hoping that they'll go first. Right. So why don't you take your sexual health into your own hands Have that conversation, which will then give them a permission to also have that conversation with you, right? So oftentimes we do have to go first.
0: I've never heard anyone describe it as sexual health before. And I think that that's really important because there's so many of us who have really normalized that like yes, sex is not going to be a part of this relationship and I'm going to live in the space of resentment and like irritation about this, but looking at it as like sexual health, um, feels really helpful. And I'd love if you would maybe say a little bit more about why you describe it that way, if you could.
2: Well, I was actually just talking about sexual health. Like when you first start sleeping with someone and oh. uh, you know. <laughs> but I like where you're going. I, I like but That's a good way to go with it though. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I'm like, no, have... this is healthy. Yeah, like no, mental like, health
1: physical health sexual health i mean we, we we they're all important right
2: i think you're onto to something it's like the battery indicator you know like we want to mm-hmm. boost the battery indicator and get more health like if you're playing a video game or something um yeah i think it, it also be described as like sexual fulfillment it's sort mm. of the same the same thing but now we're on to something i'm gonna go workshop this after <laughs> So we're here so for good
0: so good well, I feel like um, we do want to be mindful of your time, Sean. We have um, a lightning round of questions that we ask all of our guests that we would love to ask you. I'm ready. So the first question is, um, who have been your greatest mentors, teachers, people who have influenced your journey up to this point?
2: Uh, I mean, my basically my therapists mm-hmm. and some dead authors like M. Scott Peck, who wrote The Road mm-hmm. Less Traveled and... See, now I'm, I'm put on the spot, but I can, thank mm-hmm. God I have my library uh, on my right and I could pull some books out there. Oh, some, you know, some hafiz, some um, it's a, a, a poet. And that's it, really. I don't actually have that many like mentors. Mm-hmm. I sort of, a lot of my stuff is really just lived experience and then yeah. processed through, you know, my therapist and then helped by the loved ones in my life
1: beautiful love that so sean what do you find is happening for you or what are you doing when you find yourself in a state of flow right so what's that thing that you could just kind of blink and an entire day goes by
2: oh uh well i just bought a house in arizona so like house work like just like physical like
1: like the nail the nails that kind of hard work yeah i'm
2: like replacing all the light switches uh, interior design pimping out the Ah. garage all that Ah. kind of stuff And also Uh, rock. I see you.
1: I see you. Same. same. Yeah. I mean, I got
2: I got a good thing going on here in the background. Um, so yeah, uh, nesting nesting is a thing that I can do a lot of, and then also rock climbing uh, when I make it a priority.
0: Love that. Yeah. And what breaks your heart, Sean?
2: Oh, the state of the world, Mm -hmm. particularly the United States, uh, women losing their rights, uh, the fear of of water wars um climate change breaks my heart um yeah human human rights really breaks my heart
0: yeah while we have you I just want to thank you so much for the way that you showed up in the social media sphere um during all of what was happening with Roe versus Wade because I feel like for a lot of women we were like where are our brothers Where are the and men. you were very vocal very um you know just yeah. showed up so thank you for that because I think we need a a little bit more (laughs) of of men willing to do
2: that. Yeah. You're, you're very welcome. And like, I just, I mean, I love women. I have a lot of Mm. women in my life. I have a, I have a mom. I I don't, I have a sister-in-law. I've had a ton of of women friends. And it's like, I want them to be afforded the same rights that I have. So mm -hmm. I just don't understand why that can't be fair.
1: Yeah. You and me both. (laughs) (laughs) But we appreciate you. And then the last, the last question is the doozy. What is your favorite
2: food? Ooh, burgers. Oh.
1: I always feel like it tells me so much about the person, even if I don't know them well, to know what their favorite food is.
2: (laughs) Yeah, burgers. Although, if I had to pick one type of cuisine for the rest of my life, it would be Japanese food.
1: Oh. Okay. I can get down that. Yeah. You know? I feel like there's enough variety. Huh? she said i can get down with that i'm like what's wrong with a burger i can get down with that it's i like, mean but what? not every day forever you know like I, I, I hear what he's saying it's like if there's something I'm, I'm gonna be eating forever like a cuisine like japanese cuisine i could i could get down with
2: what about you two if you had to have one cuisine for the rest of your life
1: macaroni and cheese Wait, that's not that's
2: not a cuisine
1: <laughs> to me it is <laughs> to me macaroni and cheese is its own food group i don't even eat it that much anymore like i used to but i i used to i always joke like if i could if it was socially acceptable to bathe in macaroni and cheese, I would probably do that.
2: <laughs> I would pay yeah. for that actually.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of people actually would. Maybe that's a side hustle. No, sorry. It's a side pay,
2: hustle. Pay, pay to watch <laughs> you. Yeah. To watch yeah. you, not to do it myself. <laughs>
1: that's what, that's what i think. it. I was like, um, um, I mean, I think people would. I agree. I, I think I should make that a song. <laughs> my, <laughs> only, my only fan's page is just me in a tub full of macaroni and cheese.
0: Sleeping on, on a gold mine here, V. What are you
2: doing? If, if the therapy thing doesn't work out for you, that's always an option. Hey. What about you today? The food? Uh, cuisine?
0: Desserts. I, I said cinnamon rolls, but <laughs> I, know, I like that <laughs> Sean's like a cuisine, like maybe across the world. I'm like, nope, just donuts and, you know, cupcakes and...
2: I mean yeah I love sugar. baked goods. I'm a I'm a sugar freak, but also I'm I'm a realist. I know I will feel terrible if that's all I can eat. So I went for something a little healthier and sustainable.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't I guess maybe mac and cheese too. I guess that's like our our shared love language. It would yeah. probably be mac and cheese.
2: I love a good mac and cheese. I like to fatten it up though with broccoli and I put some healthy stuff in there and
1: same makes um, me feel like I'm doing something good for my body.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And I'm eating the whole box um, to myself for sure.
1: Oh, I mean, I don't even put it in a bowl. You just eat it out of the pot. Let's be real.
2: Okay. We're on the same page. Yeah. (laughs) No
1: one can send you this. (laughs) This is my pot. (laughs) Uh, That's me with desserts. Yeah. Wow. That's true. Well, Well, we appreciate you, Sean.
0: Yeah. We just really appreciate the work that you're doing in the world. Thank you for showing up the way you do. And thanks for coming and spending a little time with us.
2: Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thank you.
0: So tell me where people find you, right? Like let's let
1: let our people know that as well as anything that you've got kind of cooking or in the works.
2: Yeah, you can find me on Instagram. That's sort of where I'm most active at the Love Drive. Um, And I'm cooking up a course on emotional availability, so how to recognize it in others, right? Find people who are emotionally available, how to sit with emotional discomfort, mm-hmm. um, how to hold space for your own emotional experience and those of others. And that starts on August 11th. I'm really excited about it. It's, a, it's like a month long uh, live course and it's recorded and um, you can learn about it at the link in my bio on Instagram.
0: how to sit with emotional discomfort like what a valuable tool to offer thank you
2: especially nowadays when things just feel really hectic and really messy and really scary i think that this is a beautiful tool to be able to kind of walk through this and and get on with your life
1: yeah everything feels very heightened right now so any of those grounding Mm -hmm. tools that we can have are going to be beneficial for sure all right y'all we appreciate you
2: thank you so much Thanks for joining
1: us for this episode of Cheaper Than
0: Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.
1: And if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at
0: Vanessa S. Bennett and at Danae Logan Selkin.
1: Mom deserves better than a drugstore card.